ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. How'd you sleep last night? Yeah, no, look, it wasn't too bad. I I'm, I'm not a great sleeper. I know. You've told me that many times and I also know because you often send me texts at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's like it's like a, a lancet paper with no sort of added context. It's just like a link. Yeah, one day I hope that you'll be up at the same time as me and we'll have a little chat and <laughs> fall asleep chatting to each other. <laughs> Chatting about the latest health and medical research. Yeah, absolutely. That'll put us to sleep in no time at all. Have you always been a bad sleeper? Well, as a child, I was a particularly bad sleeper. I had something called night terrors. Just the name of that sounds terrifying. Well, this was a... Look, I, I remember it vividly. Some people would say it wasn't a pure night terror, but we'll come to that later. It was a consistent dream. The dream was always the same. And in fact... I knew as a child when I was going to get it, but I couldn't control it. It was almost like an aura, but I, d I would fall asleep anyway. And sure enough... Oh, so before you went to sleep, before you knew I, that that was going to yeah, be one of the and nights. I, and I got scared. And I was probably seven, eight, nine. It happened for quite a long period of time. Um, and I would sleepwalk during the dream. And here, so here's the dream. I'm being chased. And I'm being chased along a tunnel. And, and I find it very hard to describe the tunnel until those endoscopy pictures <laughs> emerged where you were like running through... You know, Someone's the, colon. Somebody's, exactly. Somebody's colon. And in fact, we would start to use that analogy or that metaphor. It would be like the small bowel and then it would sort of slow, <laughs> slowly become the, the large bowel. But it wasn't... I wasn't running through a bowel because I didn't know what I... You know, yeah, you no, were a seven-year-old destined to become a doctor one day. Yeah. So, but anyway, this kind of spongy tunnel and there was something behind me and it was chasing me and it was getting close closer and closer and the tunnel was becoming larger and larger until it was really quite this massive cavern and up on the edge of the cavern you could, I could see there was a, a ledge that you could run along and I thought I'd got away from this beast or whatever it was and it was coming closer but it was back on the ledge and it was chasing me and chasing me and then at the end of this ledge there was like a ladder leading up to a wooden door and I was climbing up the ladder and this thing was chasing me up the ladder and I opened the door and walked onto a street in Paris where people were having afternoon tea in a, in a pavement cafe and the dream was over. Every time? It was the same every time? And I would wake up in the dining room of the house. Often there would be people visiting and apparently I was screaming and yelling and suddenly I would wake up not really knowing where I was, taking a while to recover. Oh, my gosh. And, in fact, it took until I was an adult to explain where this night terror came from. Oh, I definitely want to hear the ending of that story. But first, I think we need to do the beginning of What's That Rash? Yep, where you send in your questions to us and we answer them. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor coming to you from Jagger and Turable Land. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan coming to you from Gadigal Land. And wouldn't you know it, Norman, today's question is about night terrors. Liz has sent in asking, why do adults experience night terrors because, as you kind of allude to, it, kids have them. It's much rarer for adults to have them. So I'm really excited to dig in on this because it's really interesting and slightly terrifying. It is only about 1% or 2% of adults get... You say only, but that is actually a pretty large proportion. I, I suppose it is. Now, if you look at the research in the area, they, they call this a, a... So we're talking about adults now rather than children. I think the children's situation is a bit different. We might come back to that. 
But in adults, uh, they call this a parasomnia. And parasomnias are really just about unusual behaviours during sleep. So other sort of parasomnia things are things like sleepwalking and weird sort of dreams. It's not just one type of thing. Is that right? Yeah, they tend to classify it into non-REM sleep, so non-rapid eye movement sleep, which tend to be non-dreaming sleep, and rapid eye movement sleep, which tends to be dreaming sleep. So they they talk about, well, sleepwalking is really probably a behaviour associated with night terrors and non-REM sleep, which tends to happen early in the sleep process. And the REM-type activities tend to be uh, things like acting out dreams, sleep paralysis where you wake up and you can't move because during REM sleep your muscles are a bit paralysed, and you get nightmares um, as well, frank nightmares during REM sleep. And what I just described to you, what I experienced was was kind of a mix. I, I got a nightmare, but... Night terrors, you wake up really confused, not knowing where you were. You can be screaming and so on, but you don't necessarily remember a nightmare that caused it. You, you, you wake up in, in terror. Right, so you're distressed, but it's not from a specific dream. The other type of parasomnia that I think we are going to have to come back to and talk about another time is something called exploding head syndrome, which yep. is very intriguing. But today we're going to talk just about night terrors. We are. So why are they common in kids and not in adults? Or I suppose a, a step back from that is like, what are they? How do they even happen? Short answer for a very short what's that rash is nobody knows. Um, <laughs> Case closed. But we can sort of you know, pad for time. But <laughs> I think it's better understood with adults than in children. I think in children, three things could be going on and none of them are, are inevitable. One is probably developmental. It's just literally a stage you go through. Not every child goes through it and nobody knows why. It, it used to be thought that it was a form of epilepsy that results in abnormal behaviour, but it's very hard to unpick that, and it doesn't really go along with the fact that it tends to disappear in, in childhood and become very rare in adulthood. Both are associated, both adults and children, are associated with trauma and mental health issues. Um, so there's obviously an overlap, but um, usually there's something else going on in adults to produce night terrors. And it's harder to unpick that in children because in children there may not be any mental health issue going on and they've just got night terrors. Can you, we, you sort of touched on it before, but I'm really interested to know like what the difference is between nightmares, like something that is terrifying, and a night terror as in a sort of state of being when you first wake up. So non-REM, and why they classify night terrors within non-REM is that people wake up and they can't remember a nightmare and it's not clearly associated with a nightmare and they're very confused. It's more associated with, it can be associated with stress, with fever. Sleep deprivation, by the way, in both situations can cause both nightmare disorder and night terrors, as well as mental health issues. So that, that's really where, you're right, that's where it sits, and that's why they say it's non-REM. Whereas REM is much more, you've got a nightmare. If you get a failure of sleep and paralysis, that's when you can act out and move in your dream, which can be a, quite a dangerous situation. And sometimes people with nightmares can sleepwalk, but that's less usual than in people who've got night terrors. And you can get sleepwalking with unusual behaviours. In fact, I know of someone who must have been having a dream looking for a bathroom, but ended up peeing in the closet. <laughs> so it's a pretty dysfunctional uh, form of sleepwalking. 
Oh, man. And some people can hurt themselves sleepwalking because they're in another world when they're doing it. So It is pretty weird. Like you think about as, you know, nightmares, you sort of wake up, you realise you're fine or you sort of you wake up and you're confused and then you kind of go, no, I'm okay. But actually, like you say, it is dangerous. Like there's potential danger in this and it's also really distressing. So what kinds of treatments are there? So let's take night terrors. You look for causes. So are you particularly stressed? Have you had a fever when it happens and it's only when you actually got a fever when it happens? Are you sleep deprived and you're going through a period of quite extreme fatigue, um, in which case, paradoxically, sleep is the treatment to make sure that you're getting enough sleep. So are people often worried about falling asleep because they're scared it's going to happen? They can be. So the other form of... Tra- when, I, when I was, you know, before time began... Uh, treating children. We actually used to give a a sleeping pill to some of these children to get them beyond that. That's not recommended anymore, and which is one of the reasons why I don't practice anymore, because I'd just be dangerous. But what they do is they say, because night terrors tend to happen early in the sleep cycle, if parents start to recognise, or adults start to recognise with their partners, when it occurs after you fall asleep, that happens 40 minutes, an hour, or whatever it is, you can, if you're by yourself, you set an alarm for 40 minutes after you put your head on the pillow to wake you up before you actually enter that period of night terrors. And if you're a parent, you wake the child up. And the people who employ this kind or deploy this kind of treatment say that it can take four or six weeks, but it often extinguishes the night terrors. Now, I don't think there's been a randomised trial to know whether or not the night terrors would have gone away anyway. So that's one. With nightmare disorder... Um, antidepressants can cause it. So you, it may be one a drug that you're on. It may be unrecognised PTSD, which needs to be treated and treated properly and well. Um, there's also a treatment called image rehearsal, is that if you've actually got the same nightmare, it's almost like exposure therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder or a phobia, where you actually visualise the dream and actually learn to relax after that visualisation so that it's not causing the stress that otherwise would and you extinguish the nightmare that way. So those are the kinds of things, as well as safety, so that if there's possibility of danger, you try and um, make the path for the sleepwalking safe. And if you're in an apartment, the balcony's locked and all sorts of things like that so that just people can't get into trouble. So when you were talking about adults before, because we are specifically answering Lisa's question, she's asking about why do adults get it, and you mentioned things like depression and anxiety being correlated with people being more likely to have them. Is a treatment for adults getting those disorders under control? Does that often help resolve the night terrors too? People assume that to be the case, but there haven't been randomised trials which say, yep, definitely, this is the way, you know, if you get your anxiety and depression treated, it's going to help the night terrors or the nightmare disorder. The assumption is that it will. And the experience of clinical psychologists who deal with this and sleep experts do indeed tend to help doing that sort of treatment. So you promised before that you would tell me that you've realised something about your childhood night terrors as an adult. What's the resolution? So I could never work out where this dream came from. I just thought it was in my imagination, but it was just totally weird that it was the same dream every night. And I can remember it today with the vividness that I could remember it at the age of nine. And I had no idea where it came from. One day, my kids were watching television and I walked into the room and they were watching Walt Disney's 
Alice in Wonderland. Oh. It's the last scene from Walt Disney's, with its modifications, of Walt Disney's Alice in Wonderland. What happens in the last scene? Is she getting well, out of... She's been chased by, it's not the rabbit or something, she's been chased by something. Uh, I can't remember what, actually what it is in the Walt Disney movie, in the, in the cartoon. Oh, because there's a, the door. And there's a door. And that's when she <laughs> goes back to the real world. Oh, wow. And so I must you... have watched that as a little kid and got terrified by it and it went into my head. So we need to write a strongly worded letter to Lewis Carroll and Walt Disney. Well, I blame Walt myself. <laughs> I'm glad I got you, you got your resolution. What did it feel like when you realised that that was what it was? I was amazed. I mean, I sat down on the couch and looked at it. I mean, I didn't get an anxiety attack or anything <laughs> like that. I thought, bloody hell, that's where it comes from. I was just gobsmacked. So what do we tell Liz then? Because if, if she doesn't have a Walt Disney movie she can pin it to... What do we say to her about, like, why adults uh, get night terrors and maybe what to do about them? Well, I think what to do about them is, you know, if you're getting them and it's disturbing, you probably should see a clinical psychologist and go through some issues to see whether or not you have untreated anxiety and depression, whether you don't want to force a diagnosis when one isn't there. But if you've got it um, and if you, you know, are you under stress at the moment? Do you only get it when you've got fever? Are you particularly sleep deprived? Going through a routine set of causes, but you're probably better doing it with somebody who's an expert in the area and it will be a clinical psychologist, particularly one that deals with sleep and parasomnias. And that's something to talk to your GP about if they know of a psychologist like that. Where they can just simply walk through it, take a proper history and work out where the vulnerability points might be. But yes, definitely talk to a GP or clinical psychologist. Don't get your health advice from a pair of podcasters. But perhaps you would like to share this episode with a friend, maybe a friend who pops up in your nightmares every now and again. Yeah, just you know, share it with your manager probably. <laughs> <laughs> but how can people get in contact with us, Norman? They can do that by emailing us at thatrash at abc.net.au. Or, of course, if you're on Instagram, we're at ABC Health. You can send us a DM. We love to get your questions. And they are fantastic questions. And like this one, they open up a huge area for discussion, which you never imagined existed. It's like running joyfully down a long, dark tunnel together. Exactly. But the great thing about What's That Rash is there's a door at the top (laughs) with a good cup of coffee at the end of it. (laughs) We'll catch you next time. See you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.